0: Lecture 9, Part 1 of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 9 On Penal Evil or Punishment, Part 1 Tribulation and Anguish on Every Soul of Man That Worketh Evil, Romans Chapter 2, Verse 9 we have seen that natural evil is nothing but the limitation of good. We have also seen that the overwhelming amount of natural evil has been the result of moral evil or sin, and that it bears upon it the character of punishment. We may also say that the limitation of natural good, which has followed after sin, is in many respects a providential and a merciful dispensation forasmuch as it has made this present life less attractive has put man himself under the discipline of labor and has greatly diminished the resources of sin however much remains could we have known man and the earth in the happy state of innocence and then our present state AND HAVE BEEN ABLE TO MAKE THE COMPARISON BETWEEN THEM, WE SHOULD HAVE WANTED NO PROOF OF THE DETERIORATION AND DEGRADATION WHICH THE SIN OF MAN HAS BROUGHT UPON THE CREATION. ADAM ALONE HAD THIS WOEFUL VISION OF THE CHANGED STATE OF THINGS BEFORE HIM, DURING HIS LONG SOJOURN ON THE DETERIORATED EARTH, UNTIL HIS BONES WERE LAID, IF WE BELIEVE THE HEBREW TRADITION, in the mound of calvary as sin is a defection of the will it is not visible to mortalize but the results of sin are everywhere visible both in the children of adam and in the inferior creation which as it was made for man through the providence that rules over both partakes ever of his fortunes the tradition of the fall of man from a golden age is so universal that it may be almost considered as a part of human conscience as penal evil is both the natural consequence and the just punishment of moral evil that is of the sin of created wills we are brought to the inevitable conclusion which both the natural instincts and the religious sense of mankind confirm that either directly or indirectly sin is the original cause the ever fertile and flowing source of all the evils and calamities by which the race of man is afflicted and made to suffer so long as man was innocent the goodness and benignity of god alone appeared In his fatherly providence he exercised that affluent justice towards his own eternal plans that stand forever before his vision, and he filled up by degrees his own magnificent plan of creation. With the profusion of his gifts, God advanced the first good of his creation to better things, and what was lower in the creation was raised to higher states of good to fulfil its ends but when sin broke out from the will of man and this moral disorder deranged the whole order of the divine plan until it seemed without a remedy the retributive justice of god burst forth from the heavens to regulate evil with punishment That retributive justice descends with sorrowing heart and a breast of anguish upon the self-elated and rebellious children of God. The genius, as it were, of pain and privation, it descends to admonish, to chastise, to deprive the evil will of its strength in evil, lest that evil become gigantic and portentous to drive back the evil will from evil with the miseries engendered by evil and to bring back the evil will to good through the mercy that accompanies chastisement but if all chastisement with all the tender touches of mercy that come to open the heart with its visitation fail to soften the hardness and subdue the swelling of the rebel heart If the malice of sin is ungratefully fostered against God to the end, then, as chastisement has utterly failed to conquer the obdurate evil, justice must change the mercy of chastisement to that inevitable punishment, which, to preserve the due order of things, must separate unchangeable evil from unchangeable good for everlasting. But this is not half the account of that justice which came upon man after his fall from God. Having lost the principle of justice by the moral failure of his will from its supporting power, having lost, I say, that principle of justice which God has implanted by grace in his nature, and by fidelity to which his nature would have kept its order and just relationship with god as his final end all chastisements must ever fail to bring even one soul to god unless a new justice come from heaven and ordain him towards god anew taking the place of that justice which he lost in paradise with that justice therefore which is due from goodness to evil with that justice by which the divine goodness imposes an order upon evil suited to its evil character there comes forth from the divine bosom another and a superabounding justice with the magnificence of a superabounding power that crowns the divine plan of human restoration with infinite mercy in this new order of justice mightier and diviner than the first god the son takes human nature to himself from a pure source and he by whom man was created by whom he is illuminated and who is himself the most perfect and innocent justice shall expiate the sins of man with an infinite satisfaction through sufferings inflicted upon him by injustice and sin. The punishment that regulates evil is in itself an order of good, because it comes of good, and regulates evil for the sake of good. This is exemplified in human justice, which is an imperfect imitation of divine justice. Human justice is a good and provident regulation of evil for the sake of good through the instrumentality of punishment it so far imitates the divine justice that it always looks to an evil will as the source of the evil that it punishes saint paul therefore says of the minister of social justice he is god's minister to thee for good For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Every man owes loyalty and good conduct to the society of which he is a member. But if instead of doing good he does evil to society, if he troubles its order with disorder, if he disturbs its rights with injustice, he owes a debt of justice to the common good, to expiate his evil with punishment, that his disorder may be rectified by another kind of order, imposed upon him against his will. But if the evil he commits is a mortal offence destructive of society or its members, and is therefore beyond a temporal remedy, the good of society demands that he be cut off from it by exile, death, or isolation among like criminals, apart from the good members of society. The justice of man has therefore its two orders of punishment, like the justice of God. The one, a temporal chastisement in vindication of justice, directed to the amendment and recovery of the criminal, the other a final separation from the good both for the vindication of justice and to protect the good from incurable evil the prerogative of mercy in the sovereign power upon amendment is again an imitation of the divine mercy which restores the penitent to favor every law of god commands good in forbidding evil it holds forth good as the reward of well-doing and threatens evil as the consequence of evil-doing that the fear of evil may be the beginning of good yet god leaves not our weak nature to struggle with divine laws but gives divine help to reach their divine order and the most help to those who desire and seek it most with the appetite for good, he has implanted the fear of evil and the dread of punishment in the soul of man, that whilst the love of good may draw him to good, the fear of punishment may deter him from evil. But the divine warnings of punishment can no more be a delusion than the divine promises of reward. They are no mockery. Man is free, god cannot lie in the hand of divine justice the punishment of evil is the essential counterpart to the reward of good it is so in the very reason of things and is known to all minds and is felt by all consciences we are the architects of our own fortune whether good or bad and when we look at the two sides of justice What special beatitude can be expected for the just soul, if no especial misery awaits the unjust soul? Let the light of eternal truth but shine upon us, and even from the sufferings of sinners in this world will it show us that no one can desert God without sinking into a misery. Let but the light from the eternal good shine upon us, and it will show us how all good is in god and that whoever leaves god must depart into evil but evil is itself the punishment of evil let the light from the divine good but illuminate our darkness and we shall see that there were no other evil to follow the desertion of that good the loss of that good alone is the greatest of evils and bitterest of punishments o thou divine and incomprehensible reason give to our reason thy gift the light to see how great is the good of a rational soul so great is this good that when the soul neither enjoys god nor holds just relations with him she must be miserable So true is this, to such a demonstration has it reached even in this life, that we have now whole schools of men, who after rejecting both God and their own souls in the name of philosophy, have proclaimed to the world that life is nothing but hopeless bitterness and misery. Thus fearfully they have proved by experience what the wise have taught without experience when david arose from his sin and looked back upon the sufferings it had brought upon him he exclaimed o god who is like to thee how great troubles thou hast shown me many and grievous on which st augustine comments from a like bitter experience most justly o thou proud one thou art made to god's image and wouldst be the perverse imitator of god whilst deserting thy good thou wouldst have thy good still with thee but god tells thee if it were well with thee after parting with me it would become evident that i am not thy good but if god be good the supreme good and thy good what canst thou find in abandoning thy god but evil if god is thy happiness what canst thou find in leaving thy god but misery come back from thy misery to god and say o god who is like to thee how great troubles thou hast shown me many and grievous no one can conquer the laws of the almighty each man must pay his debts to the divine justice we must either do justice or suffer justice we must either offer to god the fruits of the good we have received or we must lose the good we have neglected and abused nor can the least delay be tolerated between guilt and the beginning of punishment because the beauty of universal justice cannot suffer disorder for a moment the evil of the instant is avenged on the instant however secretly by privation and remorse whilst the open judgment is preparing that will bring the bitter sense of misery to the common knowledge of all men as quick as the change from sleep to waking is the passage from sin to suffering because the blessed state of justice is a good so exceedingly great THAT NO ONE CAN SUFFER THE LOSS OF IT WITHOUT FINDING INSTANT MISERY. IN THIS PRESENT TIME GOD COMES IN SECRET AND SILENT WAYS, BOTH TO THE HEART OF THE JUST AND THE HEART OF THE UNJUST MAN. BUT HE WILL NOT BE ALWAYS SILENT, NOT ALWAYS SECRET. MUCH THE GREATER PART OF THE REWARDS OF THE JUST ARE AT THE PRESENT IN SECRET, and much the greater part of the punishments of the unjust are at present in secret who are the just of heart they who humbly peacefully and submissively endure the evils of the world and do not accuse god because of them rare birds are these but beautiful as rare soaring with the wings of thought above this world and resting their spirit on the world above. If they are so few, it is because most men, when they do good, praise themselves, in their own breast at least, and when they do evil, they complain, and complain unjustly, and this complaint is an implicit accusation of God. But in thus winding round their self-love, and coiling a defense round their unjust heart, they reveal the depravity within them, for it is certainly unjust, and if unjust depraved, to praise ourselves for the good that God gives us, as it is depraved to accuse God by our complaints of the evils we have done ourselves. But when a man uncoils from his self-love, and turns from injustice to justice from himself to god he will then praise god for what is good in him and accuse himself for what is evil in him and when his own heart is right then he will know how good is the god of israel to all who are right of heart he cannot however be right in his own heart if he thinks that unjust men are happy for whoever thinks that unjust men are happy must himself be ignorant of what it is to be happy plato speaks like a christian where he says that virtue is the beauty of the soul but that beauty is difficult saint augustine expresses the same thought from a higher point of view just as he says is true and sovereign beauty you will never see that beauty where you find injustice what is in all respects just is in all respects beautiful savonarola in his triumph of the cross puts it in this way if you take two persons equally beautiful by nature even in the judgment of wicked men the holiest will be the most beautiful The first penal effect of sin is the privation and loss of that spiritual beauty, which is the splendor resulting from the inward grace, truth, purity, and harmony of the soul, a beauty that radiates into the features and conduct unconsciously, and which inspires even unjust men with a trust in that soul, and with the charm of her excellence but the first penalty of sin is the internal discord, trouble, and distress that comes upon the soul, with the consciousness of deformity and the effort to conceal the inward change, most commonly in vain. And how often, with our first parents, does the pride and shame that seek concealment of the evil lead to excusings, fencings, and maskings of the soul's condition that falsifies the spirit and destroys the habit of sincerity when the will of man is destroyed by sin and by destroying the good of his nature the central principle of life is disordered and the force that rules life is weakened pain and trouble follow this weakness and disorder as a necessary consequence AS THE SOUL IS THE VITAL PRINCIPLE OF THE BODY AS WELL AS ITS RULER, WEAKNESS, DISORDER AND THE LOSS OF VITAL POWER MUST NECESSARILY FOLLOW IN THE BODY. AS THE BODY IS AN ORGANIZED MIXTURE OF EARTHLY ELEMENTS, THE FEEBLEST OF SUBSTANCES AND NEAREST TO NOTHINGNESS, IMMORTALITY COULD NEVER HAVE BEEN NATURAL TO MAN it was a supernatural and divine gift to our first parents. But by sin the divine gift was lost, and by sin the due subjection of the body to the soul was lost. As an effect cannot be greater than its cause, the cause of our corporal condition is the corporal condition of those from whom it is derived we therefore inherit their mortality and with that mortality we inherit the weakness disorder and lusting of the flesh against the spirit which are the results of rebellion against our creator penal evil or punishment is in its nature afflictive both on account of sin and in vindication of justice as sin is against the will of god and as it is a violation of justice the punishment of sin in the order of justice is against the will or at least against the inclination of the guilty one as punishment follows sin it is either the privation of the good for which man was made and which he has abandoned and forfeited by his sin it is the sensible pain and suffering inflicted upon his nature because of sin the first is the pain of loss the second is the pain of sense as man is made for god and for union with god through the beatific vision by deadly sin he separates himself from god and is deprived of the beatific vision of god which is the final happiness of man this pain of loss which is the most grievous of all punishments comes not by the act of god but by the act of man which god in his justice permits the pain of sense is partly the direct consequence of the disorder that follows sin and partly the act of divine justice afflicting the sinner in vindication of eternal justice it is the man who corrupts the action of his will by his sin but the pain which punishes sin corrupts the man we cannot better illustrate these principles and the whole subject of punishment and especially the distinction between the pain of loss and the pain of sense by giving a full exposition of the case of infants who depart this world without the grace of regeneration and to give the exposition the greatest theological weight we shall follow the larger explanation which saint thomas has given of the question in his special treatise on evil pope innocent the third says in the decretals that the penalty due to original sin is the privation of the beatific vision saint thomas lays down his fundamental principle from saint gregory the great that the mind when estranged from god cannot see the divine light as it is because that mind is captive under condemnation and in this state of captivity that light is concealed from the mind he then argues as follows it is a much greater thing to obtain a great good with external help than only to obtain a little good without that external help for instance it is a greater thing to obtain solid and substantial health with the help of the physician than to have but feeble health without that external help As a rational creature, man excels all the inferior creatures in this, that he is capable of the supreme good through enjoying the beatific vision of God. But the principles of his nature are not sufficient for obtaining the divine vision. He stands in need of the external help of divine grace this external help is necessary to every rational creature to dispose and to prepare his nature to advance that nature towards god and to make it well pleasing to him before the rational creature can come to the perfect beatitude saint paul therefore says the grace of god life everlasting but beside that divine help which is needful for every rational creature whether angel or man to make him pleasing to god and fit for union with him man himself requires another supernatural help because of his composite nature for man is composed of body and soul of a sensual as well as an intelligent nature and when these are left to themselves the body with its senses weighs upon the mind and hinders its free ascent to the things that are above his nature this help was original justice a grace through which the mind was subject to god and the inferior powers as well as the body were completely subjected to the mind so that the reason of man suffered no hindrance in seeking god and in advancing towards him as the body is for the soul and the sense for the understanding this help of original justice which subjected the body to the soul and the sensitive powers to the intelligent mind is a certain predisposition of the man towards that other divine help of grace which prepares the mind to see god and the soul to enjoy god when therefore any one casts that help away from him by his sin which prepares him for his good he deserves to lose that very good for obtaining which he was prepared and the loss of that good is his proper punishment the proper punishment of original sin therefore is the loss of grace and consequently the loss of the divine vision for which man was ordained by the grace of god but everything that fails from its final end is an utter failure and is altogether in vain and from this it follows that if man could not reach his beatitude he would become an utter failure, and God would have made him in vain. To prevent his becoming such a failure through his birth and original sin, God prepared a remedy from the beginning of the human race, in the divine mediator between man and God, the God and man, Christ Jesus. And through faith in him and the sacrament of faith, THE OBSTACLE OF ORIGINAL SIN MIGHT BE REMOVED, AND HE MIGHT BE SET FREE FROM THE VANITY OF FAILURE. IN THE 88TH PSALM, DAVID ASKS OF GOD, REMEMBER WHAT MY SUBSTANCE IS, FOR HAST THOU MADE ALL THE CHILDREN OF MEN IN vain?" UPON WHICH THE GLOSS OBSERVES FROM ST. AUGUSTINE THAT DAVID PRAYED FOR THE INCARNATION OF THE SON who is to take flesh from his substance, to deliver men from their vanity. End of Lecture 9, Part 1